Hello there, and welcome to the Crypto Frontier. I'm Jonathan Miller, Managing Director of Kraken Australia, and here on the Crypto Frontier, we will hear from the industry's best and brightest about the latest news in crypto and blockchain from Australia and around the world. Whether you haven't yet bought your first Bitcoin or want to better understand the latest DeFi token or development in blockchain, this show will go behind the scenes with founders, experts, and industry professionals to explore the technology that powers the future of finance. Please note that this podcast does not constitute financial product advice. You should consider obtaining independent advice from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, folks. In this episode, I speak with Robbie from Immutable, the team behind Gods Unchained, an NFT-based game, and Immutable X, a scaling layer for NFTs on Ethereum. Robbie shares some insight into the reasons that NFT games are growing so quickly, why he thinks that the future of gaming will be so potentially disruptive, the challenges these games face, and how Immutable X can help solve some of these problems. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, Robbie, thanks so much for joining me today. This is a really exciting conversation. I'd love you to tell me a bit about your background uh, and how you came to crypto. Of course. Thanks, Jonathan. So my background is a self-taught software engineer and then formally studied comp sci and and law at university, which was definitely a misspent couple of years. Uh, And I'll, I'll go through the long story, which is I started up by founding various startups. It was something I was just extremely passionate about with my brother. And one of the first things we built actually were we were massive gamers. I think I have you know probably three thousand hours in League of Legends, a couple of thousand hours in RuneScape, uh, so definitely a poorly spent youth. Uh, but we actually built one of our first products, a betting platform or a self wagering platform for League of Legends, where you could bet on your own games. And uh, shortly after, we decided to build a machine learning platform that was a Shopify competitor, which would automatically A-B optimize your store based on pricing and copy and, and kind of um, give you the best results. And as part of that, we decided to build a piece of content on that platform, uh, which was actually a, a hoverboard company, um, right during the, the hoverboard craze, if you remember it, um, <laughs> way back in 2015. That um, old craze, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this built on the platform actually ended up becoming Australia's largest hoverboard company. So we had a bit of a crash course in marketing and logistics, and it all ended when the US government basically shut down shipping or delayed it by 12 weeks on every hoverboard because the batteries were exploding. And yeah. we got a massive amount of chargebacks. I think you know an order that was $110,000, which is more money than we'd seen in our lives, got cancelled. And I remember vowing to my brother that we would never do another hardware startup again. <laughs> um and also not compete with Shopify, to be quite frank. I think it was uh, 10 years too late on the product side. Um, and, and after that, we kind of, we, we did a few things, but we got exposed to Bitcoin um, pretty early on in 2014. Um, and we thought it was cool. I wasn't obsessed. I didn't think it was amazing. Um, and then Ethereum in 2015, I basically fell in love with. And mm. there are a couple of things that really sold me. I remember reading on their vision of a decentralized Uber from day one. And obviously we've seen more internet native decentralized organizations take off faster than a big conglomerate like Uber. But I thought that it was such a phenomenal vision of how you could solve effectively both like monopoly power and also collective aggregate problems um, mm. and, and, and network effects in a, in a way that was previously completely impossible, uh, which I found fascinating. And then the other thing was just playing with this little toy dap back in the day called Etherroll, which I think is now yeah. gone. 
Um, and I remember using this DAP and I thought, and if you, for, for the viewers, or the listeners who don't know what it is, it's basically you roll a die from one to 100 and you can pick the number it will go above and then it will give you some probabilistic reward based on that. So it's like a gambling contract. And I thought, this is absolutely phenomenal that in 50 lines of code, you can render obsolete huge billion dollar government expenditures on enforcing compliant payouts and probabilities and transparent rewards from casinos, mm-hmm. all the while completely disintermediating the middleman and being able to completely dowify the whole thing. And I said, well, if this can be done in 50 lines of code, this is clearly going to take over the world. Like all forms of finance is going to be run by some variation of this thing. Uh, but the problem was we weren't too sure what to build. Uh, we built some trading bots for a while. We built bots that would scrape faucets back when you could click a button and you know uh, get a tenth of a or a hundredth of a Bitcoin just by by clicking at a button twice a day, and <laughs> um, which is which is insane, right? And uh, we then basically stumbled across CryptoPunks in 2017, and we thought that this would be the thing that would take off. Um, this was going to. You were not right. <laughs> yeah, um, we, exactly. Well, we, we didn't buy any back then, and we. we I, oh, no. I my my one shame is I never bought any crypto punks. Um, oh no. But uh, which is the story of everyone, right? But um, the key thing was we saw like, hey, NFTs are incredibly powerful. They're going to completely change the way that you own items inside games. Um, yeah. And you know, having spent so much time trading, like my favorite thing about RuneScape. Was the economy. My favorite thing about Neopets, quite frankly, was the economy, the ability to have these digital goods. And I saw people trading uh, party hats for thousands of dollars and I bought items off my friends at school. So like the concept of a digital native object you'd pay for was was quite familiar to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we built Etherbots, which was the first ever multiplayer blockchain game. So literally you had robots battling on Ethereum completely on chain. So playing a round of it right now, which can never be taken down because it's on Ethereum, uh, would cost you about <laughs> six grand because of the gas fees since then. Yeah, and so yeah. I think we kind of encountered the scaling issues pretty early on. Um, and, and then look from there, we raised from Coinbase, blah, 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 to here. Um, so mm. uh, yeah, that, that was kind of the, the origin story of getting into crypto. No, that's a good story. I mean, you know, I, I had a similar uh, kind of experience, but, but but more Bitcoin focused. And then I remember my experience with CryptoKitties uh, and again, the same kind of scaling issue. And I think I guess that kind of brings us to the nub of you know what you guys are building at the moment, right? And um, and you know I guess maybe it's even worth kind of starting starting off with with this kind of uh, argument, which is you know what why do you need to why, why can't you just use another blockchain, right? Um, playing devil's advocate here because we have had I have had a conversation with you know the guys from CryptoKitties built their own, like they mm-hmm. they decided not nah, sorry Ethereum's not going to work for us, so they went and built Flow. But yeah, so tell me about your approach to solving this the same I guess same problem. Yeah, so every step along the way, we were encountering and right at the frontier of Ethereum scaling. I remember mm. when when we so like Gods Unchained is not designed to be this game where you trade items for ten thousand dollars. It's this hugely high volume mainstream game where we want people to trade items for you know as much as fifty cents um, to you know to expensive items too. But the point is, we created more NFTs with Gods Unchained than. The rest of Ethereum games combined, I think it was something like twenty million or something really silly, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's growing day by day because it, it kind of increases in this play and earn economy, and so we had to really solve these issues along the way, and we eventually realised that a scaling platform had to be built, and I think the core reason why rather than building a different layer one blockchain, we built 
uh, this is like, first a matter of timing. So I, at, the DAP, at the time Dapper chose to build Flow, ZK roll-up technology didn't exist. In fact, mm-hmm. every scaling theory on top of Ethereum, which we had investigated, which was everything from you know state channels to um, other various cryptographic solutions, simply didn't work. Like Plasma didn't work, um, and, and most of that team is now you know, funneled into different projects. Um, but... Literally, at the time we are about to make a decision, we started seeing ZK rollups working um, and in production too. So we thought, well, this is clearly the advantage because if you can build on top of the open internet, you should. There's no reason you should compete with Ethereum. It has an almost insurmountable amount of network effects around developers, mm-hmm. around capital, uh, and, and these things are very, very sticky. But most importantly, the ethos is fundamentally decentralized. And I think people are now seeing the risks when you go with alternatives whether it's, you know, BSC kind of really struggling to, to attain scale with the way that they designed their architecture, having just tweaked down decentralization letters um, in Ethereum in order to, to make up for scale, uh, or whether it's things like Solana going down for 24 hours, uh, or, or Polygon <laughs> yeah. having a $600 million hack on one of its bridges. Um, so, so fundamentally, this stuff matters. It affects the price and security of the assets that you, you put on top of it. And so the way I think of it is like, it's the set of physics uh, that you're deciding to build upon. And that will determine what other objects can you interact with and how secure is your stuff. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't we go down the stack right now and just talk about this choice? Uh, because, you know, I've, I've spoken to the Arbitrum team and, and and I think, you know, what's really interesting here and even those guys kind of uh, acknowledge this is that, you know, certain use cases ha- have definitely have different needs. So tell me about the the choices you guys have have made, how you arrived at them just briefly, you know, in terms of the rollups and the and the ZKs. Yeah, of course. So I think let's take the industry very broadly and look at what are all the alternatives you can have if you're trying to scale NFTs, which is what we're focused on. First off, you have alternative layer one blockchains, which you just mentioned a few of them. And they're fundamentally just competitors to Ethereum. And so really it's case-by-case basis, but at the end of the day, what you're losing is the liquidity, the user base, and the network effects of Ethereum, and also the security of Ethereum, because it's very, very difficult to have $500 billion in economic bandwidth, which is essentially you know, the, the, the protocol value of Ethereum. The cost to attack Ethereum is ridiculously high compared to other networks, and it's very difficult to replicate that because that requires capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the second thing I think is looking at sort of layer two scaling solutions. Um, and there's also sidechains. And sidechains, they basically consider a layer one with a bridge to a blockchain like Ethereum. Mm-hmm. And they're branded as sidechains to, I suppose, feel more Ethereum compatible, uh, which is fine. Um, but ultimately, they don't really inherit the the security of Ethereum. So I, I it's kind of a decentralization theater to me. And then I suppose you have layer twos, which I'd split up into optimistic rollups and, and zero knowledge based rollups. And the key difference is uh, their costs and the type of proofs involved. So optimistic rollups use what is called a fraud proof, which means that you batch lots of activity off chain into a form of compressed proof of that activity. And then you upload that proof to, to the chain. Both, both of those solutions work via that mechanism fundamentally. But a fraud proof works by saying, hey, I assume this is true. There is a large bounty if someone can prove it's not. And that has a few problems. The first is someone might not call out that bounty. And so you just have this incorrect truth being uploaded. Uh, And the second is you have to have a one-week withdrawal period to allow those proofs or those challenges to the proofs to be generated. Otherwise, you can't confirm anything. 
And that's really bad for NFTs because for fungible tokens, you can generally have market makers provide liquidity instantly. So if you're waiting to have that withdrawal period, you can have a market maker provide you with liquidity on the other side. But with a non-fungible token, it's not as if I can loan you a one-of-a-kind <laughs> NFT or even appraise the value. That's one of the fundamental NFT problems, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other difference is cost. So uh, optimistic roll-ups by design are just inherently much, much more expensive um, in terms of the data that they, they layer on chain. Um, and so they're really problematic for NFTs because NFTs are very liquid and very expensive to trade. So if you're looking at, say, gaming use case where you want to mint millions of nfts a day which is easily the scale we're going to hit with major games coming on board you need a solution that has a cost basis that is much much smaller um the advantage of optimistic roll-ups by the way is that it's much easier to have evm compatibility so yeah you can you can just code right precisely or, or port your code precisely and uh, this is an advantage that is not intrinsic it is just much easier to get to market with it faster and we it, it doesn't really matter to the nft use case or or to most of our customers. And so we decided to take the longer term bet on ZK rollups, which Vitalik sort of, you know, um, talks about as the, the long-term uh, scaling solution for Ethereum. And, and in comparison, obviously, a, a zero-knowledge rollup uses a validity proof, which means that cryptographically, you cannot lie about the contents that have been submitted and that the judge contract on chain, when it's submitted and it passes, it, it ensures that Essentially, all the state changes embedded in that proof are completely correct. Uh, and it's also very, very cheap. So we allow people to create literally tens of millions of NFTs at zero cost to them. So if you're a game and you want to achieve that level of scale, we're able to provide that. Well, that's really, um, really fascinating. and brings me, I guess, to my next kind of line of inquiry, so to yeah. speak, which is, okay, let's talk about adoption here uh, yeah. more generally, not necessarily of your protocol, which I think is just so so fundamentally good um but um more 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 broadly you know game the gaming industry there's been a bit of i know argy-bargy perhaps about you know adoption of of crypto uh and and gaming and and you know that's a debate right but from your point of view okay how what why are you seeing um games make use of nfts uh and and what and what are the big drivers here yeah well First off, we really had the Angry Birds moment of the crypto space, which is Axie Infinity's massive success. Mm -hmm. And that has been a lighthouse for everyone. And there are going to be many, many more to come. And obviously, the quality of Axie is low as a game, but it's it's high in terms of a a valuable project. And, you know, I'm I'm not saying that this merch, I think what they've done is pioneering, but everyone admits it's not like a, a AAA game. And that's not the point. But there will be the entire space is going to be filled with AAA content very, very soon. Um, and, and, that massive arbitrage is, is kind of going to even out. Um, so I think that's the first thing. The second thing is probably more of a top-down strategy, which is the biggest companies in the world are all looking defensively at what kind of strategy they need to have built around NFTs. And that's because they're all very scared of being on the wrong side of the change and not being ready to take advantage of it. So you know, people have learned from the innovators' dilemma and every large company now <laughs> has a 30 to 50-person blockchain strategy company, literally, uh, working on blockchain full-time and, and figuring out how if this thing truly starts to become mainstream, it's going to take off. But the segment that excites me the most is the mid-market segment. So game studios or games with valuations between, say, 50 mil and a bill that are going all in because they see this as their time to take away the crowns of the biggest gaming studios in the world. And I think that's incredibly exciting 
And in the same way that Zynga rose to the back of the new form of distribution that Mm -hmm. mobile and social gaming allowed it, we're going to see the same kinds of companies emerge in this space who generate playbooks and execute ruthlessly against the vast advantages in distribution, retention, customer acquisition cost, and lifetime value that NFTs are bringing to games. Yeah, that's fascinating. And tell me then, from your perspective, why, and, and we don't have to talk about Axie, but more broadly, why do users like this? Uh, it's easy. So first off, you own the thing. It's If you could, you know, if you bought a house and you could never sell that house again, how much would you spend on it? Nowhere near the amount you'd, you'd spend today. You'd pay a decent amount for the utility, but ultimately, if it's not an asset, you're not going to spend a million bucks. And so... The key difference is you can now own the items inside of these games. And so that's just a fundamental value advantage. Like there's, there's no downside there. Uh, the second thing though that I think is really cool is that uh, you can actually start to generate really new incentives and economic models built off these games. And I think the success of Roblox and the success of companies like Manticore, basically anything which is approaching UGC and leveraging UGC in order to be successful is is just showcasing how powerful this is. And mm. you know, even Invu we launched recently, they have over a hundred million dollar, uh, sorry, over a hundred million objects inside that game or universe, and they're all player created. So the largest labor force in the world actually is like literally gamers doing it for free. And if yeah. you can create an economic incentive around that, if you can mean that the object that they create can be valued by a market, you have an incredibly powerful mechanism on your hand. That's what Roblox nailed when it discovered the sweet spot in terms of ability to quickly build experiences and games and the flexibility to actually you know, innovate and allow true competition rather than having a platform that is too restrictive in terms of creativity. And so mm. we're going to see, I, I think, a huge amount of value where players can now both Earn t- you know earn money by playing a game, but also as a creator, and this is the broad disruption that NFTs have done, right? Which is it is the greatest shift in economic value from aggregators or platforms to content creators in the history of the world, because no longer do you have this ridiculous idea of the patronage model, which we used back in the 1700s to sponsor, <laughs> you know, like lords and barons would sponsor a bard and have them play at their parties, uh, and we still use this on Twitch today. Like street stream is a, a paid via people donating because they think they want to support the person, which is nuts. And and so we have this incredible transfer of value from the content, which was typically the value accrued to the platforms to now the creators themselves. Um, and so I think the second thing is players are now in their own seat uh, when it comes to economic value creation inside games. Yeah, that's a that's a huge shift, isn't it? Okay, well let's just talk then about you guys again, uh, now that we've we've gone really broad, let's just come back to, you know, I guess where you guys are at in terms of your roadmap, what, what's coming um, and yes, yeah, so, so anything you can share with us about, you know, the next, the coming six and 12 months. Yeah. Uh, first off is expect a huge ton of content on Immutable X. So the stat that I am really thrilled with is, uh, so we, we, we tripled, say, Polygon's NFT volume for last month. But the thing I'm most excited about is the vast majority of that volume came from self-service customers. So customers just coming and building on Immutable mm. X permissionlessly and and creating their projects on top of us without even ever saying hi. And so we're going to be very aggressively doing a lot of you know business development and, and trying to work with large companies, but also just making our platform the best place to build if you just want to build without having to talk to anyone. Um, so I, I guess that's, that's number one. Um, yeah. 
Number two, we expect a lot of uh, product improvements coming out as always. And number three, I think would be uh, expect expansion into new verticals. So gaming and and social media and uh, art is kind of where NFT volume is concentrated right now. I think that volume is very much going to rotate into gaming, uh, especially if we go into mini bear run, which is not unlikely over the next year or two. I think that uh, speculative driven NFTs are going to fall away in favor of NFTs that have a real core utility for being traded. They're embedded inside a game. You need them to play or to use something or they're core to your ownership of an avatar inside a universe, which a lot of people use. Objects with real defined value propositions um, are going to weather and drive volume throughout that market. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess, um, you know, one one thing that uh, a lot of people look at when they look at NFTs, they go, what the hell does this even mean? And it's great to hear the language starting to evolve here, uh, you know, with people talking about crypto art and, you know, crypto gaming tokens and uh, crypto avatars and things like that. So I think that's really important because it's not just one thing. You know, I've seen, you know, DeFi platforms use NFTs like, you know, Crucible and stuff like that. So yeah, that needs to evolve. And, and the word NFT, it's, it's a massive, it's a massive playing field. So that's really exciting for you guys. Well, Robbie, th- thanks so much for your time today. I think it's been just absolutely kind of illuminating. Of course, um, and, and yeah, r- really, really uh, pumped to see more people, you know, use your platform and, and I, I guess make the experience of using NFTs cheaper for everyone. So that's, that's just a massive win. Absolutely. No, thanks for having me. Thanks everyone for joining me on this show and for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe and review on your podcast platform of choice and we'll make sure we take you right to the edge of the crypto frontier. And remember, you can learn more about all things crypto by visiting kraken.com slash learn. Until next time, I've been Jonathan Miller and this has been the Crypto Frontier.